Welcome to the Rise Inside podcast, hosted by Justin Starbird and powered by Rise Robotics. Listen as host Justin talks to experts from the Rise team about topics relating to mechanical engineering, industrial design, commercialization, and innovation. True collaborations work when ideas are integrated at inception to solve significant problems. Rise Inside brings together how the team continues to work with great folks to commercialize ideas. You're listening to the Rise Inside podcast. Here is your host, Justin Starbird. Welcome back. My name is Justin Starbird, and today I am at Rise Robotics with CEO and founder Aaron Costa. Aaron, thanks for joining me. Good to be here, man. This is uh, so exciting to um, uh, not just learn more about Rise, but uh, tell more people about Rise, uh, what you do, and uh, where you came from. So, with that, uh, Aaron, you know, tell me what is what is Rise? Uh, Rise is a technology industrial company that is making zero emission uh, heavy industrial equipment with a, a new mechanical invention. And specifically, it replaces hydraulic cylinders for pushing and pulling. It's pretty technical stuff. Uh, yeah. But the, the gist of it is by getting rid of the most inefficient element in the heavy machinery, which is currently wasting that energy and the heat by churning a fluid. Uh, instead of the fluid, we have a direct mechanical system that uses less energy. It also moves with more precision control and it makes it possible to make these heavy industrial machinery a zero emission uh, more affordably. I mean, you know, we're right outside of Boston. Um, in the background, we hear, you know, construction. Uh, we're in the shop at your, uh, at, well, at our corporate office. Um, and you can hear like stuff is happening and it, and it's so exciting to know that or to, to realize that, you know, we had the ability to actually, you know, change several industries yeah. by, by, uh, implementing this technology. Yeah. And I imagine in, you know, the future, the very near future, like, 2030 even, that, you know, the construction equipment that's moving earth uh, would be quiet and nearly silent. Mm-hmm. And instead of belching black smoke into the nearby communities, it would be zero emission and running on electricity. Uh, also, like, garbage trucks wouldn't wake you up in the morning. Right. And uh, it's a long list of, of heavy industrial machinery, like, the forklifts that move the containers in which your goods show up at the ports, is, as well as uh, you know the food and beverage that gets delivered to your local convenience store or restaurant or wherever you're picking up your favorite food and beverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much everything gets picked up, moved, and set down many, 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 many times. <laughs> right? If you think about all the stuff that is in our world. Uh, it gets pulled out of the ground, mm-hmm. right? There's a machine that does that digging. It gets loaded up into another machine. That machine is doing loading. Uh, and it gets touched over and over and over again as it gets bundled and bundled again. And, it moves, uh, moves to the whole supply chain. Yeah. And, and then, you know, if you follow it, right, it comes from little tiny bits and it gets bundled up into these really big containers and then it gets broken back down again into smaller pallets and yeah. then brought to ultimately, you know, to you. Right. I mean, absolutely. Well, you know, I think about this industrial space, uh, industrial space, 
and it's not like sexy, you know, and you kind of graduated from MIT and, and, um, uh, you know, it's not like, a you know, it is very technical in nature, but it's also really industrial in nature. So it's not your typical startup here at Rise. How did you like get started? How did, how are you like, Hey, I want to get into hydraulics and uh, eliminating them. Uh, so we had a, a purpose to make the future of human motion, uh, just better, right? Mm-hmm. So stronger, faster, lighter, uh, draw less power. And are you thinking like biometrics or are you thinking like, so we're thinking of like, you know, what's the pinnacle of vehicles, right? And, uh, a well-made vehicle comfortably holds a human mm-hmm. and it empowers them to move around faster and haul things with them. And you know, the frontier of, of, uh, human motion is wearable, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, if you had, uh, effectively all the benefits of a car, but packaged in the form of clothing, then that would be a space age, uh, like space suit or an right. exosuit, right? You can mm-hmm. imagine like putting on boots, uh, pants, belt, and jacket and backpack. And that wearable suit would make it so you could lift heavy weights, uh, leap with large bounds and generally be superhuman. So we formed Rise actually to make that possible. And we set out to make the technology that would make that possible. And so we, we first started actually building human, uh, like an Iron Man too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were building harnesses. Yeah. We were building ways to store that energy in a spring. So we built new types of springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we built ways to then deliver that power to motion with what's called an actuator of which, you know, one existing type is hydraulics, but there's lots of different actuator technologies uh, because it's, it's a really hard job and it winds up being very specific to each category. Mm-hmm. We also make clutches and, you know, generally all the technologies necessary to make advanced human motion. And in the middle of that journey, we realized that new technology and new business is uh, two really hard things. And so uh, we lowered the difficulty by taking the technology that we had developed and searching for a large existing market where we could have a really big impact on the planet. Sure. And so we just introduced uh, the most valuable technology, which is our actuator. Since you know, as a brief aside, if you think about uh, like what percentage of the system is the spring, mm-hmm. it's less than 1%. Sure. Like a car, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you look at what percentage of a car is actuation, it's, it's about half, right? So the, one of the key technologies in uh, vehicles or you know motion-making equipment is how do you deliver that power? Mm-hmm. And it's even more important when you think about uh, how, where does that power come from and, and how does it affect the, the waterfall, if you will, right? So like, you know, if the last thing that, if the job to be done is to move goods, then the not the the knock on effects are are effectively how much fuel you're using or how big your battery is or how big your gas tank is. Mm-hmm. Like how how long is your range or how many hours can you operate for? So by by making a better actuator, uh, we found that we could also effectively make a better battery. And so all that is a way of saying that we introduced our actuator to all the different 
motion-making industries. And the ones that really had a need are the ones where uh, material handling that has battery problems uh, found that there was a lot of value in solving their battery problems and making their machines run longer. Mm -hmm. And then we've additionally found that there's a lot of aesthetic benefits to making quieter machines and then making them more productive through higher precision uh, and you know higher speed. And so we, we essentially just opened ourselves up to the possibilities of taking a, a profoundly disruptive new technology and just introducing it to everybody. And so we just introduced it to all these different material handling, construction, agriculture, uh, and generally heavy industrial machinery. To see and, who and bit? Or we want to see who, who cared, who bit, right? right? What's, what's, yeah. what's out there? What, what are the problems to solve? And it wasn't just hydraulics at first. I mean, we were the other competitive actuation technologies included cables, right. uh, screws, uh, rack and pinions, uh, uh, crank and sliders. Uh, these are all like, I mean, there's a whole, there's a, in the mechanical engineering world, there's, there's a whole book called, uh, I forget the exact title, but it's like, it's like, uh, like 409 or 509 mechanical motions, mm -hmm. right? And there's a pretty specific list of all the ways to like deliver power. Sure. Um, and it's, it's complicated, it's vast, uh, and it's usually very specific. So, um, trying to figure it out on our own was pretty much an impossible analysis. Mm -hmm. So how did, and, you know, you're... So we didn't, we didn't, and I, the, the short answer is we never thought we would end up in hydraulics for heavy machinery. <laughs> right. Actually, early on, we thought that hydraulics were the hardest, uh, uh, biggest thing. It was to know how we're doing. I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, we actually, you know, we were focused on those smaller versions uh, at first, we were looking at like pneumatics yep. or you know, air cylinders sure. instead of fluid cylinders. Uh, we, were, we were looking at screws, right? But those are these are smaller scale things. Now, was this while you were still trying to build the the, the Iron Man suit, for lack of a better term? We, we versus stopped working on the Iron Man suit in pretty early on. Yeah, I would say we did that for the first year. Yeah, and then and then we started looking at uh, what can we do with the technology we developed. Yeah. And well, walking through the, the shop today and seeing, you know, it's not just iteration one, you know, through through 10. It's like 1A, 1B, you yeah. know, 6C. And I didn't even show you the springs or the clutches right, or right. the harnesses or the, um, you know, the boots with belts. Right. Right? Like, <laughs> right. Some of those are in deeper storage. Right, right. But it's it's uh, quite a feat to... to um, not just uh, think of how to solve the problem, but then engineer uh, solutions for each point along the way. Um, it, you know, how did that? Tell me about the team and and how you started. You know, going from 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 one point where you were like, "Hey, this would be pretty cool to do right at the school," and yeah, and then the, then seeing the need in material handling and um, and in the industrial sector, and then be like, "Holy cow! Now we need people." that, you know, can actually do all this. Yeah. So the beginning was a discovery period with just play sessions and me. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at exosuits and we were looking at the markets for them. So there's medical, military, uh, industrial, and then we believe that recreational or sport is actually the best way to go. And then we added to the team by bringing on Tomas Seth, 
a mechanical engineer from MIT uh, who very pragmatically uh, would design and build and test right alongside Blake. Uh, and then we, we were looking for applications for the technology at that point. So still in a discovery phase, but now with a new hypothesis that we could look in lots of different uh, machines. And so we just started uh, essentially showing what it would look like in those machines mm-hmm. and then seeing if we could find the value there. And then from, from that point, uh, then we had a capability to conceive, design, and test our hypothesis around improving machinery with our new technology. Uh, we brought on the team Kyle Delacuila from the Rhode Island School of Design to uh, help communicate this visually and and share this story uh, about what we were doing. And mm-hmm. so we're still in this discovery phase, just the four of us, for quite a long time, actually. Um, I mean, it was... I would say it was approximately, and we started in 2011, we brought on Tomas in 2012, we brought on Kyle in 2014. Yeah. Um, maybe 13. That's a good check. I think it's 14. Yeah. But uh, still, that's, you know, uh, seven years. I mean, yeah. to have the core group together, yeah. you know, so having a small team, so yeah. just the four of us. Yeah. Uh, and we had interns, we had some people come and go here and there, uh, but really just the four of us uh, went at this for. About seven years until. Now, was this like a night and weekend deal? You had jobs no, in between? Or all day, every day? Yeah. Like, just, you know. So, where were you? Like, what kind of space were you in? Or, or <laughs> yeah. I mean, now we're in, a, so, uh, you know. So, uh, so, it was just Blake and I. We were in uh, our third floor apartment in Cambridge, Massachusetts, <laughs> uh, in, in like a kind of run down part of Cambridge, which is still very expensive (laughs) Um, to save on rent. uh, We had turned our two bedroom into effectively a three bedroom and just Blake lived in the living room Uh, and the kitchen was our office and prototyping center. So Blake would like, you know, he was using heat guns and, you know, like uh, equipment in the kitchen and you know, sure. I had a whiteboard in my bedroom. It was very, very low key. Like we were barely getting by, um, just doing everything we could to, to essentially prove that our technology worked and that it had value in applications. And we just tried, we just took lots of shots on goal. Yeah. Uh, and then our second location, it, once we had Tomas going on, uh, we were working at the Cambridge Innovation Center, which is like a shared co-working space. And Tomas had a basement. So that became the new lab, uh, where we had, um, he built like a, a saw for cutting fiberglass into a spring. And that was in the basement at his house. And then, um, we really needed better space. <laughs> so, uh, Techstars had helped us, uh, figure out our business model. Yeah. And we shifted from being at the Cambridge Innovation Center, being at Techstars, but they didn't have like hardware prototyping space. So then we found through word of mouth, uh, for, through a good friend, Deckard Sorensen from NVD Nano, uh, Techstars company in our cohort, we found, uh, Greentown Labs. And this was Greentown Labs 2.0 when they were over in the Boston Seaport. Hmm. Um, and it was still, so there were only like 10 companies there. Uh, and I did a tour. I saw, that joining them got us SolidWorks for free and MATLAB for free. And, 
like Simulink and like all these like really nice tools for yeah. engineering analysis. And then they had a prototyping space and they had an office space. And I think for like a thousand bucks a month, we got everything. Um, and I could pack like a full team, like our, our team of, of uh, three at the time. Plus like we had three interns, we just packed everybody into like one little room. Yeah. And we bunkered down there for about a year until Greentown moved. Hmm. So when Greentown moved over Somerville, we went with them. And the reason that happened is because the innovation district in Boston just became so expensive. Uh, you know, like it usually does. The entrepreneurs uh, moved in first, but then all the other companies like moved in next. And before you knew it, like the rent had gone up. So, right. so we moved to Somerville. And we were at Greentown Labs for several years. Uh, that was very stable there. Uh, really good deal. Yeah. Had everything we needed. And we stayed there until. How did you like, you know, fund yourselves at this point? Were you getting investment or were yeah, you? Yeah, it was all angel investors yeah. and the Techstars program. Yeah. Uh, and just, we just kept our costs as low as we could. Yeah. Like, we were just way below. Uh, we were just really bootstrapped, even though we were angel funded. Yeah. yeah. So we did that for like almost seven years. Yeah. And, and then what happened is, uh, we're like, actually, I think we can go into hydraulics. And so we started introducing ourselves to hydraulic applications and we found some dead battery problems in. So what, what, what made you think that you could get into hydraulics? So we had an accidental discovery late at night at Intel Labs where we were trying to make air compressors, uh, with a variety of different tensile elements. So like the way our actuator works is there's like a, effectively a string, if you will, wrapped around. Uh, a motor shaft mm-hmm. that makes it so you can go from a spinning motor shaft to a pushing and pulling like rod. Yeah. Uh, and so we had tried out all sorts of different constructions of tensile element, right? Mm-hmm. So we had tried out, you know, like different types of rope material, Kevlar, Vectran, Dyneema, right. The long list of different materials. We tried out different constructions, like twisted and braided. We tried out jackets and over molds, and we just tried out all sorts of different experiments. Uh, and nothing was really working until we finally got into belts. Um, and so we had applied belts to air compressors, and we were doing some reliability testing. Um, and the, the air compressor reliability testing was going pretty well. I mean, we were past several million. Uh, cycles, uh, we were close to 10 million. And, but the problem was the air compression would go all the way to 100 million. And we were seeing them wear out in a very weird way. Uh, and we were kind of stumped. So we had, we called a team meeting, the four of us huddled up and we're like, what can we do? So, uh, each of us kind of took a different approach here, but we, we all figured out that the best solution was there was this rope expert, uh, Named Roland Verbeek, who is lovingly called the Rope Pope. Uh, and he's, he's just this really smart and, uh, good communicating guy that has like a great website with, uh, illustrations of all the different technicalities about wire rope. And he had spent a decade as like the head of uh, a wire rope mm-hmm. company in like the technical department. So we wrote him a letter, uh, and said, we're stumped. We need your help. So, Gave him a call and did a you know a video conference, and then he decided that what we were doing was really novel. He'd never seen anything like it. He thought it had uh, a profound probability to really change his industry. 
And so he flew out here from Germany. Uh, he spent a day with us doing a deep dive on how we see the world and all the things we had done. And then the next day he did a seminar that was like custom tailored to like what we were doing. He just gave, you know, in a really nice way, uh, not asking for anything. And, you know, all we did was take him out to lunch and hang out with him. Really. And, uh, <laughs> uh, well, he's German. He must have had some good beer though. Yeah. So we started a new test as a result of this. And we were looking at that test really closely. And there was one spot where we had twisted the belt. Uh, and that's a no-no in the land of belts. Yeah. Uh, you know, belt makers tell you don't twist the rope, don't misalign the rope, I mean, don't twist the belt, don't misalign the belt. Rope makers, they don't care that much about twisting or misaligning because the rope can tolerate it, it can roll, and it's round. Right. Uh, so it just realigns itself, and if it does wear, you know, it wears in, in a different way. Where, like with a belt, uh, it can't tolerate it, and it just disintegrates. And so we were seeing this this uh, belt failure over and over and over again on our air compressor. And what we figured out was we need to do less cycles and higher loads. So same type of power, but in a different wear. And then we also figured out, this is where there was a key breakthrough technically, uh, we figured out that essentially in the world of belts, uh, two wrongs make a right. Uh, in the sense that like if you both twist it and misalign it, that it's kind of as if you had done neither. Mm. And so since the belt makers and the whole belt industry teaches you don't do either of those, that's the basis for a patent. I mean, that's the basis for a breakthrough. When you, when you do stuff that is considered, uh, heretical, right? Like, yeah. we became heretics, right? We were, we were doing all the wrong things to belts, um, and making them last longer, right? So what I'm trying to say here is that our test was going pretty bad until we had an expert come in and educate us. And then late at night, we made an insight into an observation. And so we tweaked our test, and we, atten- we intentionally added in an additional misalignment mm-hmm. on top of, we had already made one misalignment, so we just added in another one. Uh, and then Blake derived a mathematical proof showing theoretically why this also made sense. And then we, added, we ran a whole bunch of experimental test data, and the test data validated the, the mathematical theory uh, and that was really the key moment where we knew we had something uh, powerful. So, yeah. so we reduced it to practice. Uh, we put it into, uh, we, we, we shifted from air compressors, which are high, uh, they, they operate every second. Yeah. They actually they operate you know, 60 hertz approximately. So mm-hmm. 100 times more often than hydraulics. Yeah. And so by switching to hydraulics, uh, we became very competitive uh, against hydraulics. Compared mm-hmm. to the pneumatics, we were less competitive. Sure. And so then we figured out, okay, well, we should go into the area where hydraulics can't go. And so we found that hydraulics had been, the hydraulic marketplace had been being transformed through electrification and specifically ball screws and roller screws and generally electromechanical linear actuators were nipping away at hydraulic market share around the edges. And they're mostly doing it for the purpose of precision control mm-hmm. as well as uh, increased energy efficiency. Okay. And so you know you'll see that today in a lot of like heavy machinery and like the auxiliary uh, movement, there there will often be 
you know, electromechanical in your actuators instead of hydraulics. And so then we were like, well... Is that like the spin like on a excavator or something? Uh, no, you, you see it maybe in like, a lot of times you see it in like, uh, kind of an unimpressive list. Yeah. But, uh, it's like seat positioner. Oh, like, okay. Uh, grain angle shoot adjuster. Right. Or like, uh, um, not the lifting hard work part, but the adjusting it to the left or the right, mm -hmm. just ever so slightly. Uh, I mean, one of the downsides of screws is they can't really do that many cycles. Right. Right. So, and they can't do high lows and they can't do high strokes. So, they were limited to just auxiliary applications. Sure. So, nobody, there is no electromechanical solution that could go into like the high power, like high force, high stroke, uh, like big, right? Big yeah. hydraulics. And uh, even hydraulics themselves kind of top off at like, to six stories, right? So you get up to like 60 feet, and that's just a very large tube, right? So around 60 feet, it switches over again into the world of cables. Mm -hmm. So if you look at really big machinery, bigger than like 60 feet, it's cable driven, right? Yeah. So cranes are cable driven, and excavators that, that dig are, are hydraulic driven. Yeah. Um, so what we, we found this really interesting spot, which is basically the biggest hydraulic cylinders that need precision or need to be more efficient. I uh, would, would really benefit from an electromechanical air actuator, but nobody else can do it, and we could. And so, uh, with our new learning about what to do with our belt, uh, we, we focused specifically on, on the hydraulic uh, precision and battery, like heavy, sure. heavy duty sector, and we found that uh, it made a lot of sense in uh, lift gates, especially given that electric trucks are coming. Mm -hmm. and the problems that exist right now in the gates, they're bad, but they are getting much worse uh, as you switch to an electric truck. Right, because the batteries go Yeah, your dead battery problem just gets bigger. Because yeah. uh, I mean, diesel is incredibly energy dense. It's like a thousand times more energy dense than a battery. Yeah. And so if you, if you switch away from diesel to a battery, then um, problems that didn't exist start to show up. Yeah. Like dead batteries. Sure. Right? So, you know, like for example, we've heard that. Electric garbage trucks, which are currently hydraulic over electric, they, they, the hydraulics are so inefficient that these electric batteries in these trucks, they can't do a full shift, right? Mm -hmm. They can't, they can't run the same route, right? So instead of buying one diesel garbage truck, you have to buy like two battery electric garbage trucks to do the same pickup route. Uh, so, now so that's a problem. Right, of course. Right. So the dead battery problem actually turns into a more machines problem, which generally is just larger cost. <laughs> so with that, you have a new partnership with Anthony Liftgates. Yeah. Um, and uh, Rise is inside. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what the, what the partnership uh, is and what it, what it means for the future of, of Rise now. Yeah, Anthony's a very innovative company, and they were one of the original Lipgate companies, and they actually were the early adopter of hydraulics. Mm -hmm. So back when hydraulics were new, uh, Anthony was like the first to apply it to dumping and loading and lifting. Uh, and then they were keenly aware of the battery problems in their industry. They had been thought leaders on that, and so they joined us uh, and. Together, we tested our technology in their lift gate, 
And I, I, the real moment of proof where we all got very excited was uh, we did a side-by-side test of the rise lift, rise inside and the lift gate with the hydraulic lift gate. And, uh, I mean, we were doing, even in the worst-case scenario for rise, we were doing better than triple the number of lifts per uh, battery charge. And in the best-case scenario, it's effectively infinite. Right, because what I mean by that is, rise technology actually regenerates power when you lower a load. So if you're if you're delivering, you know, a couple pallets of soda, they'll actually produce more energy lowering those pallets to the ground than you consume when you're raising an empty lift gate. Right, because you don't you don't lift up the same load that you lower. You know, you're making a delivery. So yeah. you lower the load, the soda goes inside the store, mm-hmm. and then the lift gate goes back up to the truck. And, uh, so they really should actually be called lower gates, <laughs> not lift gates, because they're, they're not really lifting. Right. Uh, they're lower. Right. Uh, their whole purpose is to go from a dock to retail, sure. to ground level. Uh, if, they, if they could just go from dock to dock, they don't need a lift gate. Right. Right. And so, like, you know, you kind of think about what a lower gate means with hydraulics, lowering uses energy. Yeah. Lifting uses energy too, but lowering uses energy. With rise, you know, the lowering actually produces energy. And so there's a very real possibility that busy, heavy delivery routes, uh, lift gates that have rise inside, so anything lift gates will be charging the truck battery every time they issue it. Yep. And so that was really exciting for everybody. And so we, we leaned all the way into it and now we're going into production and launching these. Uh, with limited, you know, early adopter trucking fleets. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what does that mean, you know, for rise and, and like timing or, you know, when does delivery is, when is delivery expected? And, and, um, you know, I, I can feel the energy in the, in, in the building, you know, just walking in as everybody's kind of pulling in the same direction. Yeah. The production, uh, begins, the end of this month, and then we're going to be working out those low production issues that always occur anytime you set up a new production line. Yeah. So we'll have a limited stable production in September, and we'll be rolling out our earliest production units to Anthony's most innovative customers. And then after you know a reasonable amount of time, probably about a month or so, uh, we'll be increasing production with. Uh, more of the same. And from there, I think it's really about just managing production to keep up, uh, with, you know, with, with orders, right? With so orders, I, yeah. I, you know, we haven't, we haven't launched a production unit at Rise before. The team has, that we've built now. So we, we were just four people for seven years. Yeah. Now we're about 20 people. Right. Uh, and we've added operational experience. We've added manufacturing experience, production. Uh, testing, uh, just really transformed the company. It's doubled twice in the last, uh, two years. Which and is really saying a lot considering what we've just gone through. Yeah. And, uh, and all the challenges, but you know, supply chain is, needs it now more than ever. Yeah, they really do. The supply chain is, is a huge backlog. They're incredibly busy. Uh, there's a couple of trends that are driving growth, which is, you know, e-commerce is driving growth. Uh, distribution center to retail is changing increasingly for lift 
updates, there's always generally material handling. More than ever, people are picking things up and setting them down uh, all across the whole the whole uh, supply chain. There's and and then the last trend is the need for zero emission electric trucks is is uh, really catalyzing the need for better batteries. Mm-hmm. And while everybody else is waiting on better batteries, you know, we effectively have a battery solution that can double, triple, or even ten times the battery performance. So I mean, lift gates are going to market now. Uh, and we're going to soon announce another partnership in Forklifts. Yeah. Where, you know, we're, we could be using as little as one tenth of the energy of hydraulics in the largest forklifts in the world. That's so exciting. Well, man, I know you're busy. You know, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, you know, the future looks amazing for, for Rise. And, you know, we're just thankful to, to be a, a small part of that. So, Aaron, thanks for joining me today. It's been fun. You have been listening to the Rise Inside podcast, presented by Rise Robotics. On behalf of our guest today and host Justin Starbird, thank you for listening. Please share your feedback on our LinkedIn page, linkedin.com slash company slash rise dash robotics.